0: This is the word of the lord let us pray heavenly Father, as we come before you today may you speak to us may we hear from your word and respond to it and may it make an impact on our lives we ask this all in your son's name who lives and reigns with you in the holy spirit one god now and forever amen so as i've said today is all saints day Um, And Megan did a great job of giving us a picture of the church year. So as she had said, we are, the arrow is actually the day we're on. Now, All Saints Day is not a season, so that's why it's not on here. It's what's called a feast day. So within the church calendar, uh, depending on what tradition you're a part of, um, there's any number of major and minor feasts that are inserted throughout the calendar. Um, and all that say about that is that as Protestants, depending on what Protestant tradition you're a part of, you might not observe any of those saints or any of those days, or you might observe a couple. So for us, All Saints Day is a day I think it's important to emphasize. And as Megan said, the reason this is important is because the church calendar goes in a circle. And it tells us the story of God. So as she said, Advent is a story of Jesus' first coming, but also it's the season when we wait for his second coming. And then Christmas is when we celebrate his arrival. And then it goes through, and then we get to where we're at right now, which is, as she said, the, the long-growing season. But what All Saints Day does is it helps us focus On the end of the story. It goes in a circle, we get to the end, and then it starts over. Because even though we're at the end, as in we know the ending of the story, we're still waiting for the ending to be completed. So the story starts over, and as Christians we live this, and it actually gives us a way to hang our spirituality Because the seasons that are purple are usually um, more penitent seasons. All that to say, they're seasons when you reflect, when you slow down. During Lent, a lot of people fast. The way that you live your life shapes your spirituality. So the circle of the church here and the colors give us a way to live our faith. And they give us a way for us to tell our story. So All Saints Day is the day where we remember the saints. Now, the question we need to ask is, what is a saint? We've heard the word before. You might have heard the expression, you're a saint, and you say that to someone who does something really good, right? Or you might say, he or she is a saint, and you might say that in a not-so-good way because it means maybe they're not going to do the thing you wish they would do because they're a goody two-shoes or something. Now, some of us have a not-so-good feeling about the New Orleans Saints. Since coming on 10 years ago, they beat us in, the, in uh, the Super Bowl, right? And I liked the Saints until then. And I like Drew Brees, but I don't want to like him anymore. But it's been a while now. The wounds have healed. And then if you're familiar with the Roman Catholic tradition, um, the way they talk about Saints is that Saints are very important ...people, and they're very important for Catholic spirituality. So we hear this word, but what does it mean? Well, I did a little digging because I didn't actually know where the English word saint came from... ...in the sense that I knew its origins, but I didn't know why we use the word saint. But the word saint is from the Latin word sanctus, which if you're a part of the Catholic tradition... ...or more liturgical churches, they'll have different songs, or they'll have like parts of the service... ...and sanctus is a word used, and it's a Latin word and it simply is the latin translation of the greek word hagios now hagios is the greek word for holy and now this holy the idea of holiness from hagios in the new testament comes from the hebrew idea of holiness and it really comes from this idea in the ancient near east that things with the divine were holy or they were greater, they, they caused us to wonder or to notice the awesomeness of the divine. Now the only way I could think of us being able to grasp this idea of holiness is if you think about something that you have that's faded. So I think one thing that you can really see this is if there's a bulletin board with construction paper. And part of the paper overlaps. If you have that paper on there for a year, maybe longer, and then you take it off... You realize that the paper that was covered is way more brilliant than the paper that's faded. Or if you think about fabric or even plastic that sits in the sun and the underside is so much more brilliant. This idea of holiness is that when we compare ourselves to the divine, the divine is so much more brilliant that we seem faded. So, this is the idea of holiness. So, the word saint is rooted in holiness. But the question is, well, who are saints? So if you're Roman Catholic or if you know Roman Catholics, and this is, um, so last week we had Martin Luther on the cover. I don't know if you noticed that of our bulletin. Last week was Reformation Sunday. Um, So the Reformation, the big thing with them had to do with the idea of who are saints. What does it mean for someone to be a saint? So within the Roman Catholic tradition, this is still true today. And I don't mean to be negative about this. I'm just telling you, this is the difference between Roman Catholics and us. The Roman Catholic tradition, saints are perfected, purified souls, able to enter heaven and see God face to face. Now I took that right from the Roman Catholic Catechism on the website of the Vatican. So whenever the Pope saints someone, they don't actually saint them. Pope Francis recently uh, declared Mother Teresa a saint. He doesn't declare her a saint. He doesn't have that authority. What the Pope does is they recognize that someone has become a saint. So within the Catholic Church, when someone becomes a saint, it means that they have become perfected and their soul has been purified. And what this actually means is that they've reached heaven. So for Martin Luther, this was the biggest point of contention. And it wasn't the Catholic teaching. It was how the Catholic teaching had become used and really how it had become abused. Now, this is not the practice of the Catholic Church today. That's really important for us to understand. The Roman Catholic Church, after the Reformation, has done a lot of work and has reformed their doctrine their doctrines and their dogma and their teachings about this a lot, so this is not the current state. This is what happened in the fifteen or fifteen hundreds. The Catholic Church said, "Okay, so if you are, you die, but your soul is not purified yet. You still have sin that you need to remove. So you go to what's called purgatory, and in purgatory, you go through a, a time of of cleansing." And what they started to do was they started to sell what was called indulgences. So they said, okay, so you have family members in purgatory. You can buy indulgences and remove years from their time in purgatory so they can receive a purified soul to go to heaven. So this is not the Roman Catholic teaching anymore. And actually Pope, um, not Pope Francis, but uh, Pope Benedict before that, he was a theologian before he became Pope Pope. And he actually ref- he um, presented a new theological framework for how the Catholic Church can understand purgatory. And for them, it was actually an instant; it wasn't this process, but it was an instant thing that happened. And, and, um. So that's so I'm telling you all this just so you know that that what we're talking about is in the past tense for the Roman Catholic Church not present, but there are still differences in the way that Protestants and Catholics talk about that. It's important for us to know the differences only so we know, so we can understand each other better. So within Roman Catholic teaching, saints are the souls that have made it through purification of purgatory to reach heaven. This is what they teach. So if you go to a Roman Catholic mass on All Saints Day, what you see, and I don't know this for sure, but I've done some reading, and I've uh, and I know that um, based on what I think, that this is a fair representation. So if those of you who are more familiar with Roman Catholicism, this is not fair, tell me, and I will correct it next week. I will tell you. But Roman Catholic uh, all Saints' masses are more of a focus on the saints who have made it to heaven. In particular, the saints who have been named saints, there's lots of saints within the Roman Catholic um, uh, tradition, but it doesn't give the people in the pew a feeling about where they're at in their life. And so within the Roman Catholic calendar, there's a day after All Saints Day called All Souls Day. Now this is the day when you remember those who are still in purgatory, who are still waiting to have their souls purified. So this is where this puts us. And this isn't just for Roman Catholic Christians, this is I think everyday Christians. When we think about saints, we don't think about ourselves. We think about someone else. We think about the apostles. We think about the the great Christians of faith, the people who have died in the face of their faith, who have had great lives, But we don't think about ourselves. But the question is, what does the New Testament actually teach about saints? Holiness is one of the key themes of the New Testament. And what the New Testament teaches is that God's holiness is shared with people when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them. So if you think about what we read in Ephesians in the call to worship today. Gather people of God because you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And in you too, he is building together a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Saints are simply holy people. People who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And what this means is that all Christians are saints. We are all holy. So if you're a Christian indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're a saint. you share in God's holiness through the blood of Jesus by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So faithful followers are fellow saints. So why is it that we celebrate All Saints Day? It's because it helps us remember who we are and also, it helps us remember where we're going. It reminds us that God has restored the broken relationship. And that we're able to be made holy because of his gift of grace. Fellow Faithful followers are fellow saints. But remember, the story isn't over because we start over. In a couple weeks, we know the ending, but we're waiting for the ending to be completed. Now, this pushes us towards an important question where are the saints today? The people who have died? And then, where do we go after we die? So, the biggest hint for where we get this is in Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. So, this is what that passage says. It says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. So, this is Jesus on the cross. Remember, he was buried or he was crucified with two criminals. So, one of them hurled insults. He said, Are you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. He said, Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So what this passage suggests is that those who are faithful in Jesus when they die, they go to be with him what is called paradise. So what is paradise? It's not. It's difficult to know exactly what paradise is, but we do know that whatever it is, it's in the presence of Jesus. So when people who place their faith in Jesus die, they join him in paradise. But this is where things become dicey for us, and this is where... I want to push us to rethink what we've always heard. For a long time in Christian teaching, it's become common to say that, well, the end goal of the Christian life is to go with Jesus into paradise. This idea of we go to paradise or we go to heaven when we die now when people talk about heaven what they're actually talking about is paradise but now this is the rubber question we need to ask is is the final vision of the biblical story paradise is this the final vision is this the good news of the gospel And if we look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, we see that it's not. Because this is what he says. He says, for we know that if the earth, earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. But meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteed for what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, And would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal. To please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body. Whether good or bad. So in this passage Paul uses a clothing metaphor. And he talks about tents. And what he's saying is that we have an earthly tent. And he's talking about our body. And we have a heavenly tent. And he says while we're here, we're longing for our earthly dwellings. Or our heavenly dwellings. Now what he doesn't mean is that we're longing to go to heaven to live in a house built for us in heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying we're waiting for our heavenly dwelling, our heavenly body, to come join us. So that we can be pure again. So think about it this way. If you want to drink a Pepsi during the Colts game, you don't go and sit in the refrigerator to drink it. So even though you store Pepsis in the refrigerator, doesn't mean that they have to be consumed in the refrigerator. Just because our heavenly dwellings are in heaven right now, doesn't mean that we have to go there to get them. We can take our Pepsi and we can go sit on the couch and watch the game. Because this vision that Paul gives us of paradise is this vision that we have this paradox, so we have this challenge. We have our earthly bodies, but they're impure, they're sinful, they're broken. And we have this promise of heavenly bodies, but he says when we die, we have to leave our earthly body. And he said that's not good because we want our body, because our body is an important part of who we are as humans. But he says, we really want to be with Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 8, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, what I think this means, and this is where, there's not a lot about this in the New Testament. But what I think this means is that when we die, we leave our bodies and we go to paradise with Jesus. But what this is telling us is we really want our bodies. So going to heaven and being in paradise, but without our bodies, without the physicalness of being able to touch things and eat and feel and enjoy everything about the physical world, without that, there's something missing. Now he says it's better while we wait to be with Jesus and to be able to rest. But as if you remember our first Thessalonians teaching from a while back. The hope isn't that we remain with our heavenly, that we remain with Jesus in paradise. But the hope is this. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. And according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven. And with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, trumpet call of God, and the dead will rise first. That's what we hope for. The dead will rise first and after we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with the Lord forever now if you remember when we talked about this we're waiting for Jesus to come back here we're waiting for him to come to earth we're waiting for him to be with us on earth So even though those who have died are with Jesus in paradise, they're without their bodies and they're waiting to be resurrected to return with him. So all the saints living and resting wait for Jesus to return. And this is why the story isn't over. This is why it starts over. This is why we keep telling it. Because we're still waiting. And we're still reminded, well, why does Jesus have to come? Why does he have to come again? We're still waiting. We know we're saints because what is it we said? Faithful followers are fellow saints. But still, we're waiting. In our passages from today, they give us a a vision of what we're waiting for. Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully groomed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among, now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God on the earth, not in heaven, with our resurrected bodies, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the city where all people are healed and where the challenges of this life go away, and when we drink from the river flowing from the throne and we are restored. That's what we wait for. That's while we're waiting. And in Isaiah 25 gives us another picture of what this life looks like. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. It's a banquet where all people will be there, a banquet of aged wine and, a, and the best of meads and the finest of wines. A banquet like no other banquet. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. He will destroy the evil that per, that surrounds the world and permeates every aspect of life here. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And in that day they will say surely this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord we trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. That's the image. Now again want to say that even though the Roman Catholic Church has a little bit of different details in the middle. Their end is the same. We're all waiting for the resurrection. We're all waiting for Jesus to return. We're waiting for all the nations to sit under one king, under one throne, to worship the God and maker of the world, to acknowledge his holiness, and to acknowledge... That we are simply his creatures. So while we're on this All Saints Day. I want you to be encouraged to know that you are a saint. If you're a follower of Jesus. If you're committed to seeing this to the end. To living the life faithfully. You are a saint. And regardless of where we land with the Roman Catholic Church. And as I said, in the recent years, they've had two theologians. I mentioned one. They've had a second one who have really transformed the way that they can talk about life after death. But regardless of where we're at, I want you to know that you are a fellow saint with the great saints of old who have passed on before us. And as we think about those loved ones who we knew who have passed on We know that we're all in this together. We're all waiting for Jesus' return. The story doesn't end when we die until Jesus returns. Our place is just different until he comes back. So faithful followers are fellow saints. Now I'll say more about heaven and the new earth and life now. When we end this Ecclesiastes series. But what I want hopefully for you to do. Is to see how all of this is coming together. And we get to see the hope that we have. So let us close with prayer. Heavenly Father we come before you as your people. On this All Saints week. We think about those who have gone before us. Lord, we ask that those people who are with you waiting, that they would find rest from this life, from the challenges that they faced and the evil that they had to overcome. May they rest in your presence and enjoy your eternal glory. But while we wait for them, may you give us, while we wait with them, may you give us strength to endure as they did May we draw from their example. May we follow their faithfulness. May we remember them. May we mourn them. May we hope to join them with you in paradise. And then may we hope to join them with you in the new city and the new restored creation. Lord, we thank you for what you've shown us. We thank you for what you've given us. We thank you for the grace. That we've received. And we just ask that you would continue. To draw us closer to you. To live faithfully. While we wait. And while we're in this life. We ask this all in your son's name. Who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit. One God now and forever. Amen.